Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescents, ours and theirs. Vanessa, we're back with Carrie and Emily of Behind Their Screens. We had so much to talk to them about. And in particular, we really wanted to dive deep into the impact that social media and technology has on the social lives of adolescents. That instead of doing our regular Now What, based on a listener question, this week's Now What gives us bonus content from our time with Carrie and Emily and really explores a very specific and critical aspect of kids' relationship to technology. We hope it's helpful. We feel that it's incredibly critical for adults to understand the positive ways as well as the concerning ways that technology and social media can impact the lives of kids. Enjoy. Emily and Carrie, we're so happy to have you with us talking about technology and social media. And I want to start with a question about an issue that having worked with hundreds and hundreds of kids around friendship and social emotional learning, most adults vilify things like TikTok or Instagram. But one of the things I notice is that actually just group chats via text amongst kids is often the most insidious form of technology that kids have access to. 
And often that's the first kind of technology socializing they have because it's usually the first thing they get on an iPad or a phone. Can you talk about my broadly sweeping statement on this topic and whether it plays out in your own research around kids and group chats? And by group chats, I mean like a group of kids on a text chain that they've put together and can drop people off or add people. And they're literally just texting back and forth amongst people. It's nothing more complicated than that. So can you all speak to that specific tech reality? Our chapter about friendships in the book literally opens with a story about group chats because it was not something that was so on our radar when we started this research and we decided we wanted to talk about social media. And and yet it was at the forefront of so many conversations we had with teens about how social media gets complicated and also how it plays a really important role in bonding and closeness. So the story we tell at the beginning of the chapter is a story about a high schooler her name that she chose for herself in the book is Lila. And she tells a story about how she was in two group chats for two different friend groups. And basically one group knew she was in the other group's chat and the other group didn't know that she was in, you know, there was the, the honeys and I think it was like the honeys and the OGs or something. And the group that knew that she was in the other chat created a spinoff chat without her. Like this might seem like, okay, this kind of stuff happens informally in person all the time. Like, okay, we're a group of five people and now we have a separate conversation of four people. And sometimes one of the things she said was like, it can happen really organically because maybe I just like wasn't going to the Friday movie plan. So it wasn't malicious. They just like made a chat to figure out logistics for the movie plan. But then they kept that chat going and they stopped using the chat that she was in. And all of a sudden, she was not in the main group chat for that friend group. And adults might have this impulse to be like, well, okay, like, who cares? But she knew, and she was absolutely right, that that was going to result in her being sidelined from social plans and inside jokes, and that there were real ramifications for who's in and who's out of group chats. So there are often these like big chats that everyone's in, and then there are these pods and Teens don't always know who's in or who's out of the chat, but they have real ramifications for offline closeness and relationships. It's so striking. And you talk about teens, but like kids as young as third or fourth graders are in these group chats with each other. And Carrie, I'm curious if you notice how it plays out with like younger kids and specifically like how much they screw up in these group chats, like the unkindnesses and the impacts. I I just would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, first I'll say that, I mean, earlier we were talking about when we talked to our kids and we asked them about which platforms are making them feel bad or which platforms are the spaces where they're seeing things. When we get caught up in platforms and we see like Snapchat as the problem or Instagram as the problem, we overlook the fact that, Just the basic messaging technology can cause so much drama and strife, but also real positives like closeness and connection and reaching out with empathy and saying, I'm here for you. So again, like all things, it's a mixed bag. So first I'll say that, you know, our research has been on tweens and teens, so adolescents. So I can't speak from a research perspective in terms of how it plays out, text exchanges between Uh, younger folks, but as a parent, I can. And so, you know, my child who is now 13, but she had an iPad starting when she was 
10 and she had a phone when she was an 11 for various reasons. And I've done a bit more oversight, but I have seen how text messages, she just recently got on Snapchat and Instagram when she turned 13, but dynamics between friends and that sense of being in and being out were certainly playing out there. And also misunderstandings, a sense of like trying to read and discern tone. And she's someone who has significant learning differences and a communication disorder. So interpreting things isn't a challenge for her anyway. And then put the, you know, the sort of absence of tone and other cues that are associated with messages that are simply in text with sometimes emojis, which can convey emotion, but also it's quite ambiguous. Mm-hmm. So these things start young, just with the basic technology of messaging. And so being really mindful and alert to what's happening and opening up those conversations feels really important. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. 
Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. We've had so many parents reach out to us and just even non-parent adults reach out to us and render their opinions about these early communications. And there's a large camp that believes that these are benign learning curves, right? These are easy ways to toe into learning how to communicate this way. But it feels important to shine a light on the fact that it doesn't necessarily feel benign to the kids. What Vanessa described, kids being dropped off of texts or the comments that are made that ultimately boil the group down to either upstanders or bystanders, right? And there are often things said that toe into bullying or racism, or, you know, you, you can name sort of any affront and this happens. And On the one hand, you go, yes, you know, it's experimental and these are learning curves and these are, especially when kids are young, these are moments where we can grab the kids and teach them. But on the other hand, that requires that the adult is actually involved in the thread, that they are seeing what is happening on the thread and they are able to grab the teachable moment. And, you know, I don't know how much data there is around this, but I would imagine that there are some adults involved and following, but it's a full-time job to follow your kids on really? their various devices and platforms. So I think that's another piece where when when the adults say, give us a reason to delay, you know, one reason to sort of delay it all is if you can't help mitigate what's going on, and there are a hundred reasons why you might not be able to, maybe your very young kid is not 
ready for it because they need the help. Car, I want to piggyback on that comment. In the book you talk about, and we often talk about how online life is is really an extension of kind of adolescent emotional and social relationships. And what happens online now, you know, is stuff we used to use on landlines or in the halls in middle school, but now it happens, you know, over phone. And yet there's a layer around romantic relationships, sexual relationships that happens online that is really novel to this generation. And that is the broader term is sexting, but in the book, you break down sexting into many, many different components and it gets into issues of consent. Can you talk about how kids feel about sexting, about, you know, sending nudes or having, I mean, in our day, it was just like phone sex, right? I guess that's like the closest version to it. I hope I haven't offended anyone. But now it's like, you know, and it's not just kids, it's adults too who are sending nudes and and all sorts of comments and all of that. How do kids feel about this? And how can adults engage with kids around sexting in a way that is both cautionary, but also doesn't close the door to conversation? Well, we can tell you a few things that teens told us they wish adults better understood for sure about this. I mean, I think the first thing is you said, how do kids feel about sexting? And we heard a lot of variation. So I think this is an area where for sure a big theme was, oh my gosh, there is so much pressure in this culture around sexting that kids feel, but not all kids are feeling that and they're not all feeling it to the same extent. And so just recognizing that there are these differences, but I want to say two things. One is that We need to talk about sexting, even if we are positive that our kids are not sexting. And there's this story that that Carrie and I keep coming back to recently. I had a conversation with a mom who was like, my daughter and I are really close. She is not sexting. Like there is, I don't need to have this conversation with her. There's, it's just not relevant to her. I would know we have so much trust, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, I read your book. I read that chapter you guys wrote, but like, I just, I don't know. I don't think it's relevant. And I said to the daughter in front of the mom, I started asking some questions and she was like, oh, well, I obviously have a lot of sex on my phone and like a lot of nudes on my phone. And her mom's eyes were like, her mom was like, what is going on? And it was not what you're thinking. It was, well, what you're probably thinking. She was like, my best friend is in a really serious relationship and she sends me her nudes to check before she sends them to her boyfriend. So I, I don't have guys nudes on my phone. I like, I'm not sending my own nudes, but I have all these nudes that are my, my best friend was taking to send to other people that she's sending me to check. And I've gotten in some sticky situations where like, I forgot that they were on my phone. Like she hadn't thought to delete them. And the mom was sitting there like, oh my gosh, but that actually is really important because that kid really needed a conversation about what to do if someone sends you a nude picture. By the way, even if it's your best friend and even if she's sending it to say like, is this a good angle or not? That's still in the bucket. So we always say, Emily, there's one word you can never say about your kids and teenagers and you can never say never. Never. (laughs) Because the minute you say, it's never my kid, my kid would never do that. You know, within like 30 seconds, you're going to find out 
you're absolutely wrong. And, they and there's totally some angle do. of it because with the sexting stuff, especially like that's such a good example because it's not, I think we have a very narrow, this is like the asking over assuming, but we have this very like narrow assumption of what sexting looks like and how it's playing out for kids. But actually it's so much more complicated. And one other thing I want to say about this is just group chats are playing a role in this for sure. One of the pressures we heard from some boys is like, what if I'm in a, like, I might be in a group chat where the norm is that we're all sharing nudes that we receive. And so I know that's not a good idea, not cool, but my friends are expecting it. And that's a source of pressure that maybe the parents weren't even thinking about or recognizing. And, you know, we have some of those same boys saying later, like, wow, I did that when I was in high school. Now I'm in college. And like, that was not cool. That was not okay that I was doing that. And we had girls very consistently ask us when you have a chance to talk to parents of boys. And I am kind of, I'm making a gender distinction here because this really in our data, I think was one of the most important areas we saw gender distinctions. They said, please, please, all of the parents of girls are telling girls like don't sex, right? Like, but parents of boys are not spending enough time telling boys, please don't ask girls for sex. You put them in a terrible position. It's just not okay. Oh, Vanessa, you're already doing that? Okay. (laughs) Well, but what I'm not doing, what I'm not doing is saying, if you're in a group chat and there are naked photos being sent around, like, how are you going to handle that? What's the response there? That's an angle I didn't even think about. So to your point, Emily, there's stuff like we're not even aware we should be talking about. It's such a good example of how the different regions of the brain work, especially for tweens and teens. So the tween or teen who's sitting in a conversation with adults who says, I will never sext, I will never send an image. I will never ask for an image. Totally got it. They are using their prefrontal cortex. They have access to it during that conversation. They are able to give the adults not just the answer the adults want, but what they really believe with that part of their brain. But when you are on a group text, it is no different than being in a room with a group of kids The limbic system, the emotional part of the brain, the dinosaur brain is lit up and the decision tree looks different. And so, Vanessa, even if you have that conversation, it has to be three, four, five times because you have to exercise the muscle and get the kids role-playing and ready to decide what they're going to do because the groupthink is so powerful, right? That's their limbic system. That is... Just a little sidebar, a tip for the adults whose kids are charging devices in their room or storing devices in their room. The data that I've read, please tell me if this is correct or incorrect, is that the later it gets, the worse the decision-making is, the more groupthink there is, the more likely kids are to engage in this kind of behavior. If you keep the devices out of the room, you reduce the risk of engaging and do sleep better. I so appreciate uh, so much of that, Cara. And, you know, what you say, what you say to Vanessa about the limits of that conversation she should have are so important to bear in mind. And it reminds me, you know, so much of what Emily and I do, we wrote this book, we do this research, but we also work with common sense media and we develop resources for schools and for parents around this exact logic that you name about like getting into the routine or the habit of mind to remember those things, trying to work against the dinosaur brain to the extent that it's possible. We once interviewed this educator who was doing really interesting things in her classroom particularly around talking about sexting. 
And she said, you know, my job is to not have my students memorize a definition of what counts as sexting and what the risks are. My job is to help them with decision-making at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. 10 p.m. on a Saturday night when I'm not around, certainly, when maybe their parents are around, but they're the last person they want to talk to, but they're looking at their phone. There's something happening in group chat. There's an inbound request. There's a sense of pressure. There's all of all of the emotions, all of the elements of the brain car that you mentioned that are firing. That's what we really want to have our sights set on in both our parenting and in the things that happen in schools. And the way she was doing that and the way that we try and scaffold it was she recognized that one of the biggest barriers was actually kids feeling confident in having the language to navigate tricky situations. And so that role-playing and that talking through, like, what would you actually say? And creating space where kids have those conversations with each other. One of the things that came up when we were in a discussion group with teens around this was one said to another, like, well, one of the best strategies that someone told me was like my older cousin or mentor, just send a black screen and say like, this is my nude in the dark. If you're asked for a sex, this is like, I'm, this is me naked in the dark. That seems like such a funny, like a silly, no big deal intervention. But actually, if that is the thing that makes you feel like you have a strategy, that is the 10 p.m. on a Saturday. Saturday night intervention. And so creating space to actually come up with those strategies, practice the language. It's as always so, so powerful. Here are two others I've heard from teenagers. Send a picture of a nude palette of eyeshadows. Here's my nude. (laughs) Or send a picture of a bowl of noodles. Here are my nudes. (laughs) <laughs> both of those. <laughs> like, mm. I love but those. They, whatever floats their boat and gets them through. I want to close with one concept that you talk a lot about in the book that I hadn't thought about with respect to kids and socializing online. And it, I want to send people to your book so they can read about it in more depth, but it's the concept of social reciprocity and the pressure that kids feel in their relationships, their friendships, online to reciprocate, to always respond, to always be present, to always like, to always comment, you know, all of those things. What is one piece of advice from the perspective of kids about how adults can help kids feel relieved, both understand the pressure of social reciprocity, but also feel relieved of that burden? Is there one piece of advice that teens have given you about how to how to accomplish that or make your way towards that goal? Oh, it's, I mean, it's such a good question. So, so social reciprocity is so important and it's at like a premium on, on social media. There are so many signs and cues that you're being responded to and paid attention to the likes and the, and the followers and the friends, even read receipts, like someone read my, are they responding back? So it's really, really salient for young people. And it's, you know, basically the idea that, when someone does something for us, we want to return the favor. So if someone liked my post and put three effusive comments on it, then I, in turn, have to be ready when they post their next selfie and be ready to do not just one, not just two, but three effusive praising comments. Otherwise, I'll get an inbound saying, you didn't comment on my picture. So it really is a thing. And it's also the case that, as you know, we've discussed in this conversation, tech companies are kind of playing and preying on this instinct by offering all these ways to read the tea leaves and really understand. What we've heard from teens, like older teens, 
And, you know, to make a generalization, often say that they get to a place where they're in a much better space to push back on some of these things. Um, in many cases, they've developed the language to say to a friend, like, I'm not going to be available or like, I'm sorry I didn't post on your, you know, respond right away when you you know, posted that latest picture, but I can't always be available for you. And that's much, much harder for tweens who, you know, again, don't have that language. So I think picking up on what Emily was sharing earlier about our strategies and support around sexting, it's similar here. What's the go-to language you can use to say that I'm not always going to be available to respond right away? This is amplified and escalated when kids have friends who are struggling with mental health issues, as we talk about a little bit in the book. And in some ways, that puts things in a different category and feels like the stakes are even higher. But just for day-to-day exchanges, it can feel like a lot of pressure. And having that go-to language to say, I'm not available, or having parents be the bad guy. You know, my, my parent won't let me on my phone at this time. They took my phone away from me. That can sometimes be helpful. That's so helpful to hear. And again, it goes back to practice and scripting and recognizing what pressures they feel that we may not recognize. You know, all of those aspects, adults have a steep learning curve when it comes to kids and their relationship. Cara, you started by asking like, why should pediatricians pay more attention to this? And why do we have to move the conversation beyond screen time? When we were talking, I think that was an episode ago, but this is all why, because there are so many conversations that we need to be having, that if we just start and stop the conversation with a screen time limit, we miss the moment to help practice, to help develop this language, to help set these boundaries that kids really need. And they do really need it in different ways at different ages. This is a really important part of of what kids need who are growing up with a lot of technology. And to that end, to any adult out there who wants to understand both sides of this coin, who want to know the data and hear very objectively what the pros are, what the cons are, what the unknowns are, and how to begin to navigate things. Your book is so beautifully written. It's so deep and so extensive and so unlike anything else out there. So for anyone who is fence-sitting, this is the go-to manual. And for anyone who's pretty sure they're squarely in their camp and they know why, this is the go-to manual because it is just real science done from a perspective of openness, no judgment, empathy. But at the end of the day, it's data and it's science. We could talk to you forever. We hope (laughs) you will be back because we're going to come back. A thousand questions from listeners. Thank you. Thank you for writing this. Thank you for taking time to speak with us. You're just, you're doing remarkable work. Thank Thank you you for reading it. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for having us. We feel so lucky to get to do this work and to get to share it. Exactly what Emily said. And we'll link to the book in our show notes so people can get to the book easily. Thank you both so much. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com